0: Hello and Shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from Southwest Louisiana, and I hope you are doing absolutely splendidly, marvelously well. Uh, It is great to be with everybody today, and uh, we're going to get into some really uh, really good stuff. Again, we kind of stepped out of the the gospel series for a little bit, uh, and I want to address some other things in the next coming weeks. And so uh, these are going to be kind of disjointed a little bit, but we'll jump back into the Gospels, uh, into Matthew proper uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, So I hope you're all doing well. If it's your first time uh, checking out the show, I just want to say welcome. Welcome to the family. And uh, Image Bearers Radio, IBR, is uh, just a really cool opportunity for us. To, uh, to come together and talk about different stuff, ask some different questions about scripture and uh, ask hopefully some better questions and get hopefully some better answers uh, and so it's a great discussion so thank you for tuning in. Um, for those of you who are regular listeners, I appreciate so much your faithfulness and your uh, your commitment to our, our community and uh, all the comments and emails and uh, support and, and all the things that you, you guys make this what it is and so thank you so so very much. Uh, for those who don't know Just real quick, I'm the pastor of Out of Ashes Ministries in southwest Louisiana. And uh, we are a Yeshua-centered, Torah-pursuant family that is just... Uh, growing and, uh, and you know, loves each other, loves the, loves the Father, and uh, looking to be more like Messiah uh, in our relationships with each other and then impacting our community and, and all those things. So it's a wonderful, wonderful place. And Hashem is adding to us, and uh, we're just really thankful. So, hey, if you're in the southwest Louisiana area, I'd love for you to come by and uh, visit with us. You can check us out at outofashesministries.org, O-R-G. And, uh, if you're not, if you're listening wherever you're listening from, uh, then, uh, we live stream our Shabbat services every, every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central. And uh, we live stream to our website. Uh, also, we have a mobile app that you can check out on our website. And we live stream also to Facebook and to YouTube. So any of those places you can catch us, we would love to have you jump in and tell us where you're from. And uh, get to know you a little bit. And uh, join us for uh, for Shabbat morning one morning. And uh, love to get a chance to, to get to know you. So uh, that's who we are and our kind of intro. And with all of that housekeeping stuff out of the way... This week, uh, in this week's episode and next week's episode, uh, we are going to be talking about Hanukkah. I'm not sure how many of you uh, celebrate Hanukkah uh, or have celebrated before or would like to, but just are not kind of really sure what you know what the deal is. Um, we're going to talk about Hanukkah, one of my f- absolute favorite times of the year, uh, and so that's what this week and next week are going to be dedicated to. So before we jump into this week's episode, let's go to the Father in Prayer. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father in heaven, we are more than grateful, more than we could ever say, for the way that you deal with us and and are, and are faithful to us and love us and never leave us and never forsake us. Thank you for this community. And Father, as we talk about Hanukkah, help us to be those Maccabees dedicated for your purpose. All right, so welcome back. Um, yeah, this week we're going to start uh, a two-week conversation uh, on the season of Hanukkah. And uh, I, I always like to start off by reading from John uh, chapter 10. I'm just going to read a couple verses this week. We may come back to it next week. Uh, John chapter 10, verses 22 and 23 uh, si- simply says, And then came Hanukkah. It was winter in Jerusalem, and Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. Um, so, so Hanukkah. Um, it, Hanukkah, sadly enough, or, or oddly enough, I guess, um, Hanukkah has kind of a, a mixed review from those of us who are who didn't grow up uh, Jewish and who are learning Torah and learning Israel's customs and and Israel's celebrations. Um, Hanukkah is one of those that's, that that kind of gets mixed reviews. Hanukkah and Purim. Purim um, are not are some people love them some people you know absolutely can't stand them some people of course believe they're pagan blah 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 Uh, and I usually don't listen to those those folks a whole whole bunch Um, but Hanukkah is an incredibly exciting time of year it is one of my favorite besides you know the regular the the feast days the moedim um, probably my favorite time of year. Uh, I love the Hanukkah story. I love reading it with my kids every year. Uh, I love reading it myself and just preparing for, uh, you know, for this, this season and stuff. So we're going to get into a little bit of the history. We're going to read from First Maccabees a, a good bit in this episode and talk about kind of what was going on and, uh, what we're, you know, just a really kind of general overview of what the Hanukkah story is all about. And then in next week's episode, uh, we're gonna get into more about what it kind of means for us and what can we, can, what we can take away from Hanukkah each year, uh, and then some practical things as far as how do we celebrate, uh, and some ideas kind of for you and your family. So I hope this is really helpful for, uh, you know, for someone out there. So, uh, let's kind of get in and, uh, if you have, a, a Bible that has the Apocrypha, uh, Maccabees, uh then you can read from it. If not, then uh you know if you have a Bible app on your phone or tablet or whatever, you certainly can find it, uh can find it there. This version of 1 Maccabees is the King James Version, and so that's what I'm gonna be reading from. So before we start in chapter one of 1 Maccabees, I want to kind of remind us where we are. And we've spent a lot of time uh in our silent years episodes talking about this particular period of history uh and and the one that in the the first century that follows it. And uh, so we should be pretty familiar with with the, the state of affairs in the land of Israel at this point. But if you're not, or if you haven't caught some of those episodes, let's just do a real quick recap, right? So all the way from Ganidan from gar- the Garden of Eden in Bershit in Genesis, we have this idea of uh, God planting men, uh, a man rather, uh, in a garden, which we talked about as being sacred space. Doesn't have to be a physical garden somewhere physically on the earth. It, it probably is, but doesn't have to be more the idea of sacred space of God, the place where God uh, comes down and where humanity is elevated, the place where heaven and earth meet. Uh, we would think of this later. This would materialize as a tabernacle, and then as Beit Hamikdash, the temple, the holy temple. Uh, And so uh, we have this idea of God putting a man there um, to avod v'shemar, to serve and keep, right, this holy place, Uh, and and to, to not only serve God there, but to teach the other, teach people how to approach God, to teach them what defiles and what is, is kosher, to teach them what, uh, you know, what steps across the line and encroaches upon God's holiness and, and, uh, and the right way to come to him. And so all the way back in Genesis, we have this kind of temple story as we would talk about it. Uh, and we go through, uh, through Noach, um, through Avraham, we've been through all these patriarchs, and we've talked about their stories at length in this kind of same theme and vein. And, uh, we come to David Hamelech, David, King David, um, which the, the empire of Israel, the nation of Israel under King David is the golden age of Israel. Um, there never was before, and really, in my opinion, hasn't been since, um, a, an, a, an Israel like it was under King David. And so, um, during, during this time, Um, you have, you have Israel really coming to light and coming to maturity, and then things quickly kind of go away. Uh, under Solomon, whether after Solomon, under Jeroboam and Ramboam, where the, the uh, nation splits. And do you have the Assyrian exile and you have the Babylonian exile? So, Uh, After the Babylonian exile, when Israel comes back from Babylon, some come back and some stay, right? Under uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, there are, I think, either three or four uh, different waves of exiles that return to the land, but many do stay in Babylon. And so what you have is you have Israel who is back in her home, Uh, her people are back in their homeland, in their native land for the most part, Um, and yet they are under Roman occupation, or under Greek occupation, uh, Persian occupation, then Greek occupation, then Roman occupation, um, as little kind of big fish swallows up smaller fish, right? So you have you're back in your homeland, and yet it just is not that golden age. It's not that that you know that beautiful, prosperous, peaceful, um, you know, independent, stable uh, culture that you that your forefathers knew under David Hamilik. And so if you kind of think about this in terms of, um, I, I have to always kind of relate things to today for it, my, me to wrap my head around it. So if any of you have ever had your, um, your house broken into, if you have ever your house has ever been burglarized, um, imagine the feeling, uh, well, you don't have to imagine, you know, but the feeling that you have when you go back into your house after it's been burglarized. Um, it's a, it's a feeling of like, you've been violated, right? It's a kind of an icky feeling. Um, it violated is kind of the best way I, I, I can think to, to put it. Um, you may be in your home, but it's just, it's, it's home, but it's not like it was. It, there's, there's some uneasiness. There's some tension. There's some stuff there that just is, is not, just doesn't feel right. And so, when you have Israel back in the land after the Babylonian exile, you have this thing where you're you're home, but it's it's not home. It's not the glory of the the first temple um, is is never you know, or the glory of the second temple really never is what it was um, in in the early days, and it just things just are not um, they're not perfect. They're not like you want them to be. Rome, uh, Persia, then Greeks, then Rome is there, et cetera, et cetera, and so. Um, it's a really tumultuous time in the, the history uh, and the people of Israel. And we've talked at length about, um, about Alexander the Great. So we're going to start reading from 1 Maccabees, and uh, we'll pull some of these characters out and kind of stop along the way. So this is 1 Maccabees chapter 1. Verse 1, it says, And it happened after that Alexander, son of Philip the Macedonian, who came out of the land of Hethim, uh had smitten Darius, king of the Persians and the Medes, and he, re, uh, he reigned in his stead first over Greece and made many wars and won many strongholds and slew the kings of the earth and went through the ends of the earth and took spoils of many nations and so much that the earth was quiet before him. Whereupon he was exalted and his heart was lifted up and he gathered a mighty strong host and ruled over countries and nations and kings who became tributaries unto him. And after all these things, he fell sick and perceived that he should die. So let's stop right here. Uh, let's stop in verse 5. And so who are we talking about? We're talking about Alexander the Great, right, who, who we spent several weeks on uh, in the silent years part of our podcast. Um, Alexander the Great, he is the one for our purposes um, who really commercialized and, and, uh, and militarized and brought the idea of euangelion. Um, of euangelion gospel, or besor, besorah in, um, in Hebrew. He is the one who really put the idea of, 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 of a gospel on the map. This was a term in Greek culture before, but Alexander brought it to the forefront. And we, we talked about um, Alexander's particular flavor of Hellenism, uh, of, of gospel, which was Hellenism. Uh, And Hellenism, this idea uh, that Greece was the new kingdom, and that Alexander was the new king, and that your life was going to be drastically different and and uh, exponentially much better because now Greece was here, and Greece was going to offer you all everything that you know to 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 uh, remedy your ills, and and you know Greece was going to be your salvation. Uh, from your mundane little life, wherever it happened to be, whether it was Israel or some other part of the empire. And so Alexander, of course, is a brilliant militarist, right? Military commander, uh, large standing Greek army, but even more important and more um, potent, right? <laughs> more, uh, more impressive and more lasting than Alexander's military campaign and military dominance was were the cultural aspects of Hellenism that he brought in and uh, and and subjugated people by uh, not only by the sword but also by these ideas of what it meant to be Greek, um, and so you have these things about education and uh, athletics, uh, competition and theater and uh, the Oskalapion, healthcare, all these different things that we talked about. These four major pillars of Hellenism, uh, and so this is who we're talking about in the first uh, you know seven verses or so of. Uh, of First Maccabees, this is the Alexander, and this is what's going on. And this is why I love history so much, because um, you read First Maccabees and you just go, "This guy Alexander, yeah, we learned about him probably in world history at some point in school, um, but not understanding what all when you know when we talk about this, not just about the land that he conquered." But it is also about what he brought with him, what, what way of life, what worldview, what perspective, what cultural identity, um, he brought, because that happens every time you change leaders. Hello. Every four years we have an election and, and the country changes a little bit every four years when we have, uh, a, you know, a new president that's elected. We, the country either comes together, divides a little bit, or, or new things happen. It just is part of the way that, that, that culture works, right? especially as it relates to government. Uh, and so Alexander gets to the end of his life, his brilliant you know, life and campaign, and he does what every good man does. Um, he dies, right? So verse, uh, uh, verse 6, Wherefore he called his servants such as were honorable and had been brought up with him from his youth and departed and parted, rather, his kingdom among them while he was yet alive. So Alexander reigned 12 years and then died. And his servants bear rule, everyone in his place. So we talked about this in, uh, in our, again, in our Silent Years episode. We talked about uh, this, this idea that the Greek Empire gets split into many different pieces, but it kind of coalesces around four different generals. And forgive me because my mind just went blank, and I can't remember the two on the east and the west, but the north and south generals, uh, the, the general who, uh, and, and his, his folks, who kind of controlled Israel and north uh, was Seleucid. And the general who controlled Israel at certain times and south into Egypt was Ptolemy. And so you've probably heard these names before, if not in Bible study, then probably in history. Uh, and so you have these two major generals, and you have uh, two other generals that, that kind of take the Europe, southern europe part and then the more Asia part uh, and, and Africa part. Uh, and so you have these two main generals for our purposes that uh, Israel is stuck right here in the middle. They are at the crossroads of the earth. They're also, you know, who would have thought? Um, we all should have thought, really. They're at the crossroads of the Greek empire. They're in the middle of the whole thing. They're in the middle of the whole works. And so you have the Seleucid Greeks in the north, and you have the, the family of Ptolemy in the south that uh, that for years and years fight over this land of Israel. Uh, and it, gets, it, it changes back and forth, back and forth, changes hands. And we talked about the idea that the thing about Ptolemy was that he was not, his way was not to be really overly aggressive, but Ptolemy's thing was kind of like, listen, I'm not going to force you to be Greek. Um, I'm just going to make it really hard for you not to be Greek. So, you know, all the statues, all the building, all the stuff, uh, and, and I'm just going gonna, gonna, to you know, submerge you in Greek culture. And, and eventually you'll come around when you see how really great Greece is. So Ptolemy is the, the Egyptian ruler. On the northern side, Seleucus is not that way at all. He is very much tip of the spear. Uh, you'll become Greek by the edge of the sword. You know, you'll become Greek my way or, you know, we can do it my way or we can do it my way. That kind of, that kind of idea. So he was very, very uh, aggressive and uh, and militaristic and just did not leave a lot of room for people to make up their own decisions. And so let's continue reading in First Maccabees. We'll jump down to verse 10. Uh, it says, and there came a man out of them, meaning the the generals that, that Alexander split his, his, uh, his, his. Um, uh, empire into there came a man out of them a wicked root, Antiochus surnamed Epiphanes son of Antiochus the king who had been a hostage at Rome and he reigned in the hundred and thirty and seventh year of the kingdom of the Greeks so here we are introduced to Antiochus or Antiochus Epiphanes um, which Epiphanes Epiphanes is like you know the son of God or God, you know, he, there's no, um, there's no lack of, of, uh, of security. There's no, absolutely no insecurity in this family. Uh, they are very, very, uh, you know, they're the God, they're the God, they're the divinity, they're the divine. Uh, and they happen to be from the, the Northern kingdom, the Seleucid kingdoms, uh, and their, and their reign. And so we, as we go move further down, uh, First Maccabees, we come to kind of the point of our, for our purpose of of looking at Hanukkah. Uh, we'll read verses 20 to 28. It says, and after that, Antiochus had smitten Egypt. Uh, he returned again in the 143rd year and went up against Israel and Jerusalem with a great multitude. So, uh, Antiochus comes from the north. He comes through Israel, he goes down, he wipes out Ptolemy, and then on his way back up north, to the northern part of Israel and, and into Syria, he comes back and he makes a little stop in Jerusalem. Verse 21, And he entered proudly into the sanctuary and took the golden altar, the incense altar, the candlestick of light and the vessels thereof, and the table of showbread and the pouring ve- uh, vessels and vials, the censers of gold, the veil, And the crown and the golden ornaments that were before the temple, all which he pulled off. He also took silver and gold and the precious precious vessels. Excuse me. Also, he took the hidden treasures, which he found. And when he had taken them all away, he went into his own land, having made a great massacre and spoken very proudly. Therefore, there was a great mourning in Israel in every place where they were. So the princes and elders mourned the young virgins or the virgins and the young men were made feeble and the beauty of women was changed. Every bridegroom took up lamentation, and she sat, and she that sat in the marriage chamber was in a heaviness. The land also was moved for the inhabitants thereof, and all the house of Jacob was covered with confusion okay so what do we have? We have Antiochus and his army. They go down. They take care of the Ptolemies, uh, the Ptolemies. They come back up through Jerusalem. He marches himself into the sanctuary and takes the incense altar and the menorah and the, the uh, Lechem Hapanim, the table of showbread. Uh, he takes down a veil and all these different kinds of things. Where is he if he's going to be doing this? Knowing what we know about the temple, where is he? He's in the holy place, right? Which if we understand anything about temple Kedusha and where people are allowed and not allowed and all of this, this the temple at this point is already defiled. Um, we'll get to the whole burning swine flesh on the altar a little bit later. But at this point, the temple is already. He has already transgressed. He has already overstepped his bounds, and and he has he has defiled and and he's been an affront to to Hashem and to the people of Israel just simply by where he has chosen to walk because he is a pagan. And only the Levitical priests were allowed in the holy place. Only the, the uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, only the sons of Aaron were allowed in the holy place to do their, to do their service. And so uh, the Kohanim. And so you, this is an absolute affront to, to this. And as we read through this, this section, especially the last part uh, of that passage, where it talks about the, the virgins and the young men uh, were made feeble and their beauty was changed uh, every bridegroom took up lamentation, and they sat in the marriage chamber with heaviness, uh, and and everyone was covered with confusion. I, listen, I don't want to I don't want to try to parallel what's going on uh, in the world, and especially in America, because that's where we are. Uh, I don't want to try to parallel that to this because there's some really there's some really important distinctions to make it's always dangerous when we appropriate biblical stories just because they sound right or they feel right or whatever. It can be really dangerous to appropriate things like that um, without having a good understanding of the boundaries of that appropriation. So what I mean is that you know, what we're dealing with here in the story of Hanukkah is we're dealing with um, the land, Haaretz, the land of Israel, right? There is there is all of the all of the earth is god's yes but there is one land that he chose to settle his people that would then be a representative of him to the rest of the nations so we're talking about this particular land and then we're talking about this this Beit HaMikdash the house of kedusha the holy temple and the, uh, sometimes it's called habai the house um, we're talking about this place where God meets with man, where, where God descends and man is elevated. And, and it's not just as simple as saying, well, it's a temple and that's done away with because of Yeshua. There's so, 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 so much we have to understand about the temple that we just don't. Um, we, you know, we throw out the phrase, well, we are the temple. And we'll read that, we'll get to that passage next week. Well, you know, we're the temple. Our bodies are the temple. And that, yeah, that's true. I absolutely agree with that. And I'm thankful for that, for that truth. Um, however, how can we be the temple if we don't understand? How, how can we be a temple, quote unquote? If we don't, we don't live in a society of temples. We don't know anything about temple worship and cult worship and and temple practice. We just—it's not part of our world. And yet we strut around, you know, all spiritually arrogant, saying, "Well, we're the temple now, and the old temple, blah blah blah." And it's like we don't even understand what we're saying. So I'll, I'll get off of that rant. We'll get back on it again next next week. I promise. Um, it, we can understand though a little bit with 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 covid um, with then and for us in in the on the gulf coast two major major hurricanes um, with all the presidential election debauchery and all the the confusion and all that kind of stuff it, it, most of you listening to my voice will understand this you feel that heaviness you feel that confusion you feel that just like anxiety and that uneasiness and it, it puts a cloud over you and and the last part of this passage really kind of make, helps me to feel like this is what we feel like today. So we can identify with with what's going on in Israel and what the people were feeling during this time. We'll be right back after the break. everybody. Hey, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearish Radio. We're talking about Hanukkah. And um, so we're talking about this idea, uh, again, not, what's going on in America today is not the same thing as the desecration of the temple. Um, but we can identify a little bit with this passage in, in First Maccabees uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 25 through 28. Uh, we're we're kind of with how we are culturally as a people. I think as a, as a nation, no matter how you think about how the election, you know, if you're excited about how the election is going to turn out or might turn out, or, you know, we, none of us, it's just, it, the, no matter which side you're on, um, 2020 has been a year of absolute just beat down for a lot, a lot of us. And um, you know, my wife and I were talking, you know, a week or so ago and uh, something came up. It was kind of frustrating. And, and finally we just decided, you know what, any semblance of normalcy of, you know, in, in this, in 2020 we're just going to have to give up on any semblance of normalcy. Not like we're giving up and saying, woe is us, but I'm just saying so that we, you know, we are ready then to just be open to whatever kind of curve balls, 2020 throws at us. Right. And I think the, the nation as a whole is tired. Um, and so we can kind of understand this. You know, we, those that you know, you go to the office and you dress up every day, and you know you you wear your slacks or your suits or your you know whatever. Um, now you you know you're like you're doing it from pajamas at home, right? And so even our beauty is you know has, has faded a little bit in, in some areas. So I just want to make that distinction for no other reason than to put us inside the story as much as we possibly can be. Not to say that, oh, this is our Hanukkah. I and mean, that's not what I'm saying. I just want us to relate, try to relate to this story a little bit and understand that it's, it, we see history and we see some of these stories, you know, many, many times as one dimensional. as like, well, these are just historical facts. Bang, bang, bang. We go down the timeline. But we have to remember that this is a, a high level storytelling. This is telling about you know, moving of governments and kings and empires. This is not telling about you know, the, the, the you know, 65-year-old you know, couple that you know, their kids are gone and now they're enjoying their golden years or whatever, trying to enjoy their golden years, and, and they're having to deal with this stuff. Or the young married couple that's looking forward to starting a family. And it, the story doesn't tell us about those people, but, but that's our lives. We are those people. And we don't find ourselves in the story unless we put ourselves there many times, unless we think about it actively and we do the work to, to, uh, to connect with these people on a deeper level than just understanding the, the facts of the story. I hope, I hope that makes sense. So let's continue reading a little bit. We'll keep going in uh, verse 29 of First Maccabees. Uh, so the temple has been, has been ransacked. Um, everybody is just absolutely, you know, destroyed over, over this. Verse 29 says, And after two years fully expired, the king sent his chief uh, collector to, uh, his, yeah, to tribute uh, unto the cities of Judah, who came unto Jerusalem with a great multitude, and spake peaceable words unto them, but all was deceit. For when they had given him credence, he fell suddenly upon the city, and smote it very sore, and destroyed much people of Israel. And when he had taken the spoils of the city, he set it on fire and pulled down the houses and walls thereof on every side. But the women and children took they captive, and possessed the cattle. So again, kind of to reiterate what we talked about before, you're back in your homeland, hooray! And then this guy shows up, right? And then these, you see, you're home, but it's it's not, it's never been home just like it was before. Verse 33, then they builded the city of David with a great and strong wall and with mighty towers and made it a stronghold for them. This is the fortress Antonia. And they put therein a sinful nation, wicked men, and fortified themselves therein. And they stored it also with armor and victuals. Uh, And when they had gathered together the spoils of Jerusalem, they laid them up there. And so they became a sore snare, for it was a place to lie in wait against the sanctuary and an evil adversary to Israel. Thus they shed innocent blood on every side of the sanctuary and defiled it, and so if you study the temple complex on um, on Har Habayet, on the Temple Mount, um, we know about the Fortress Antonia, and it actually looked over into um, into the courtyards of the sanctuary, and so the Greek and later the Roman soldiers could actually had a bird's eye view of what was happening right inside the inside the temple. Um, I'll plug um, my good friend Rico Cortez um, and Joseph Good. They have worked tirelessly on a wonderful app uh, called Second Temple. It's a virtual temple app, and it is absolutely amazing. Uh, I think it's like 25 bucks. But if you're interested in all, I mean, you spend $25 on a, you know, a not even really great meal, fast food a couple times a week, make a sandwich at home, save a little bit of money, download this app if you're on uh, iOS or Android. It is absolutely phenomenal. You can see some of the places that we're talking about, the Fortress Antonia and how it overlooks. This is a quote from Josephus in uh, Antiquities of the Jews, uh, book 12, chapter five. It says, And when the king had built an, an idol altar upon God's altar, he slew swine upon it and so offered a sacrifice neither according to the law nor according to Jewish religious worship in that country. He also compelled them to forsake the worship which they had paid their own God and to adore those whom he took to be gods and made them build temples and raise idol altars in every city and village, and offer swine upon them every day. He also commanded them not to circumcise their sons, and threatened to punish any that should be found to have transgressed his injunction. He also appointed overseers who should compel them to do what he commanded. He and, and indeed, many Jews there who, uh, there were who, com, who complied with the king's commands, either voluntarily or out of fear of penalty that, that was denounced. But the best men, And those of the noblest souls did not regard him, excuse me, but did pay a greater respect, respect to the customs of their country than concern as to the punishment which he threatened to the disobedient. On which account they every day underwent great miseries and bitter torments, for they were whipped with rods and their bodies were torn to pieces and were crucified while they were still alive and breathed. They also strangled those women And their sons whom they had circumcised as the king had appointed, hanging their sons about their necks as they were upon the crosses. And if there were any sacred book or the law found, it was destroyed. And those with whom they were found miserably perished also. Wow. See, this is why I'm hesitant to, you know, to draw these really strong parallels and to appropriate stories like this to where we are in America. Uh, because even though we may be feeling the stresses of, you know, confusion and chaos and stuff, we're not here. Uh, and, you know, many people think, well, we will be. Well, I don't know, but we're not yet. And so uh, that's why I want to be very careful about that. But this this forced tyranny away from the customs and away from fidelity to the covenant and at, at punishable, by, by, punishable by death. See, Ptolemy never would have done this. But Antiochus, being a Seleucid Greek, was, was just ruthless in his, in his um, pursuit to force the, the Greek way of life on all of the, the people that were, were around. And we have to understand, we, so we talked about in the first part, can I get ahead of myself, but we talked about in the first part the, the abomination of the temple, right, and the, and the defilement of the temple, and so the things being stolen and, and the, you know, these pagans who were not priests and who were not even at, you know, at all in any sort of way uh, allowed to be in the holy place, let alone in the, in the, the courts, they, they defiled the temple. And then, of course, we, have, we know about the swine you know, being sacrificed on the altar and the abomination of desolation. We'll read about that a little bit later. But all these, all these things you have it defiles this building, which is more than just a building right? The, 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 the tabernacle in the wilderness, when it gets constructed, it's a tent, right? It's just a tent until something happens. And we, we won't take time to read it, but until there is a dedication, and you can read about that in the book of Exodus, there is a dedication of the temple and the presence of God comes down and fills the temple, right? In, under King Solomon, King Solomon rededicates the temple. It's just a building until that dedication is made, and the presence of God fills that place. Then it ceases to be just a building and it becomes the house of God, right? It becomes Beit El, the house of Elohim. And so this defiling the temple is, is a, a massive, massive injustice against Hashem and against the people. And so we have to be even really careful how we talk about the temple in, in these days um, not because it's just a building, but because of what it represents. And and, and because not of what the Jews call the temple or not of how the Jews saw the temple, but because of how God sees the temple and how God saw the temple when it was standing. Right. And so we have to be really careful when we when we do that and how we how we talk about that. But then as we read in 1 Maccabees, we see this Antiochus, Antiochus is is taking care of the temple. Now he's coming for the people. And this is where it really comes to rubber meeting the road for us as we get into, you know, as we get in kind of through the story a little bit more. Because it's one thing to take away the house of God. And this is something that we have to we have to really understand. That we we talked earlier about, you know, we quote We are the temple, we're the temple. Well, that was, that was always kind of an understanding in Judaism. That was always a, an understanding that wherever you, as a Jew, wherever you go, God goes with you. you. Yes, there is one temple in the place where God chose to place his name forever. That verse is over and over in Tanakh. But wherever you go, you carry God as Emmanuel. He is God with you wherever you go. So in a sense, the Jewish people always understood that they were the corporate temple, the, the place where God dwelt if that makes sense. So that's not a new concept in the, the modern covenant. That's not a new concept in our B'rith Shah. That is a concept that, that is being remembered in those verses in the B'rith shah And so we kind of, we got to, you know, we've got to think about this a little bit more critically than just, Oh, well, this is what it says. This must be what it means. We have to think around the issue a little bit more and, 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 look in places that we may not have looked before, not for, not for them to tell us again, what to believe, but how they thought about things. And that's really, really super important. So there was always this idea of the communal temple, this, that the people God lived within the people. Um, and so this, you know, destroying the building, defiling the building is one thing, but when you come for the people, and you say, not only are we going to put swine on the altars as an external thing, but remember that any time meat was offered in ancient culture, any time meat was offered as an offering or a sacrifice, that was a communal meal. And you didn't just go throw meat on the altar and turn around and walk away. You, you Part of that meat might have been given to the priest only. Part of that meat was for you and the priest to, to eat in the presence of Hashem. These were communal meals, and this was not just like this in the temple in Israel. This was like this in every temple, in every ancient culture. Sacrificial meats were meals for the gods, to the gods, but also with the gods. And so having meats, you know, having unclean meat sacrificed on the altar is one thing, but then having to partake of it yourself, you're not only defiling the building that God chose to live in, but you're also defiling now the last, the last place that, that, that God is thought to have dwelt with people, which is inside of man or with man. Right. I, does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. I may not be saying it very well, but I hope it, I hope it makes sense. And I hope it challenges kind of the way you, we think about this a little bit. Um, and so he he pulls down the, the city walls and he sets everything on fire. Verse 33, it says, uh, I'm sorry, we've already read through verse 33. Uh, let's skip down to verse 41, verse 41. Uh, moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people and everyone should leave his own laws. So all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. Yea, many also of the Israelites consented to his religion and sacrificed unto idols and profaned the Sabbath. Verse 44, for the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land and forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple, and that they should profane the Sabbaths and festival days, and pollute the sanctuary and holy people. See? They make it he makes a distinction in first Maccabees, that they would pollute the sanctuary and holy people set up altars and groves and chapels of idols and sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts. that they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and profanation to the end, they might forget the law and change all the ordinances and whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the King. He said he should die. So this is the end goal. The end goal is not just to demolish or to defile or to make ineffective um, a building that, that, the, that these people say their God lives in and that where, where they commune with him and where they meet with him and where the law comes from. It's not only that place, but it's also that it would work into the hearts of people. It's like breaking the back and, and so that the people would forget their laws and change their ordinances. This is a cultural shift that Antiochus is happening. It's not just a religious domination. It's not just a military domination. It is a shift of heart and of mind and intention. That is what he intended. If we move on to verse 54, it says, now in the 15th uh, 15th day of the month of uh, Kaslu, which is Kislev, uh, in the 140 and 50th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar. And builded an idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side. So, what is this abomination of desolation? Well, they uh, they uh, offered swine upon the altar. They also built an altar on top of the the sacrificial altar in the temple, and they raised a statue to Zeus in the in the temple courts, uh, in the in the yeah the temple courts. Uh, and verse 55 it says, and burned in incense, excuse me, at the doors of their houses and in the streets. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law which they found, they burned them with fire. And whosoever was found with any book of the Testament, or if any uh, committed to the law, the king's commandment, that he should put him to death. Thus did they by their authority unto the Israelites every month, to as many as were found in the cities. Now the five uh, and twentieth day of the month, they did sacrifice upon the idol altar, which was upon the altar of God verse 60, at which time, according to the commandment, they put to death certain women that had caused their children to be circumcised, and they hanged the infants about their necks and rifled their houses and slew them that had circumcised them. Howbeit many in Israel were fully resolved and confirmed in themselves not to eat any unclean thing. Wherefore, to rather, rather to die that they might not be defiled with meats and that they might not profane the holy covenant. So then they died. And there was a great wrath upon Israel. So This is a, uh, we talk about food. I I talk about it and I use it kind of illustratively because it's low hanging fruit because we all eat every day, right? We all have, we're around food all the time. What we can be very guilty of if we're not careful is saying, well, but that's just because they didn't know Messiah and they didn't know, you know, they were hung up on this food thing just because, you know, that was under the law. And we just don't understand that in every culture, in every culture, not just in the Torah, not just in, in ritual, in, in, uh, in you know, cultic practices in Israel, but in every ancient culture, food was connected to worship. As my teacher, Joe Good says, the highest form of worship in Tanakh is eating. It's eating because you ate in communion with your deity. That's and, and in communion with each other and your deity. And so food was it's, it's tied to worship inextricably tied to worship it in Genesis one, Genesis one, two, and three, this idea of food arises, right? It's all through the scripture at the end of the story in revelation. What are we ha- What are we waiting for? The marriage, what supper of the lamb, right? It's all about food. And while food is not magic, and, and it doesn't Yeshua says it's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of him that makes him uh, defiles him it, that's that's absolutely true. What Yeshua is getting at there is that if you're if you're going to be a hypocrite and you're gonna, you're going to play like you're doing this thing, b- but you're, you're going to do it with the wrong intention, or if you're going you're going say one thing and do another, or however we think about the, the idea of hypocrite, then it doesn 't matter what you eat because it really truly doesn't if these people If these Jews, if these Israelites were going to follow Antiochus' commands and then say, oh yeah, but I'm not eating pig, eat pig. If you're going to give your loyalty and your fidelity over to this pagan king and you're going to serve him, then eat whatever you want because food is not going to save you at that point. Food is a non-issue at that point because your heart and your, your loyalty, your love has been given over to someone else. So when I talk about food, it, it's not in order to cleanse us or save us or any, it, it, it's a sign of our loyalty. To say that, well, in ancient times, food was was um, you know was tied to worship, but today it's not like that. Who says it's not like that? What if we only put in our mouths the things that were able to be offered in the temple, and only when they had been when they had been processed like they would have been processed in the temple? You know what you call that? You call that kashrut, kosher eating. So you, you only eat meat that has been slaughtered a certain way and blessed with the blessing that came from the blessing that was done over the sacrifices in the temple. See how all this ties together? And We think, oh, those dumb Jews, they just don't get it. No, we we dumb Christians don't get it. We don't understand. And And by the way, they don't think eating kosher saves them either. It's a sign of their fidelity. It's a sign of their loyalty to their king. I could go on and on about this for episodes, but I'm, I'm not going to bore you. I hope this piques your interest enough or confirms some things, or maybe it hacks you off and you think, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm telling you, at least think about it. At least meditate on it. Do some reading and, and, and do, some, do some praying about it and see where you think you know, the, the Spirit is leading you in, in some of these areas. It's very, very, very important. It's very important. So important that Yeshua uses food as a sign to Peter, but it's not about food. It never is about food. <sighs> um, so they, 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 these people lost their lives over a ham sandwich. That's the point. They lost their lives over a ham sandwich, but it wasn't about putting unclean meat in their mouth. It was about what that meant. It's as much adultery to them in idol worship as as it would be, just outright verbally denying that Hashem is King, and I hope that that makes sense. So we're introduced in these last few minutes to uh, to the to Mattathias Hasmone, and I'll try to read through this in just in the the next few minutes we have, uh, and we will we will pick up next week uh, on the story of of the Maccabees, where everything starts to turn a little bit. So this is chapter two of 1 Maccabees, uh, verse one. It says. Uh, in those days arose uh, Mattathias, the son of John, the son of Simeon, a priest of the sons of Yoarev from Jerusalem and dwelt in Modi'in. So this is a priest, Mattathias is a priest, but he lives in Modi'in. Well, how does that work? Well, you only serve in certain times as a priest. There's so many priests you're uh, assigned a time of the year to serve during feasts or during your, your course. Um, other than that, you teach in your local communities. Uh, and then you, you come serve during holy days and during your courses. And so Modain is, a, you know, kind of a suburb of Jerusalem up near the north, a little north of Jerusalem. Our good friend Hanok Young, best tour guide in Israel, uh, lives in Modain to this day, the home of the Maccabees. Uh, verse 15 says, In the meanwhile, the king's officers, such as compelled the people to revolt, came to the city of Modain to make them sacrifice. And when many of Israel came unto them, Mattathias also and his sons came together. And they answered the king's officers and said to Mattathias on this way, You are a ruler and an honorable and great man in this city and strengthened with sons and brethren. Now, therefore, come thou first and fulfill the king's commandment, like as all the heathen have done, yea, and the men of Judah also. And such as remain at Jerusalem, so shalt thou and thy house in the number of the king's friends. And thou and thy children shall be honored with silver and gold and many rewards. And Mattathias answered and spake with a loud voice, Though all the nations that are under the king's dominion obey him and fall away every one of them from the religion of their fathers and give consent to his commands, yet will I and my sons and my brethren walk in the covenant of our fathers. God forbid that we should forsake the law and the ordinances. We will not hearken to the king's words to go from our religion either on the right hand or the left. So Mattathias stands up to these, these guards and these, these people and he says, no, no even though all the other nations you guys conquered, even though they all forsook their religions and their customs and their, their traditions and their family, uh, you know, their family tradition, religious tradition, not us. Israel is going to be the defining line. The men, the people of Judah, the Jewish people are going to be the defining line that puts a stop to this tyranny and to this this coercion into this militaristic overthrow and changing our minds and changing our and killing our, stealing our women and killing our women and children. This is where it ends. Uh, we 're going to talk about the priest a little bit in the next, uh, next episode, so make sure you stick around for that. we 're going to talk about the the revolt and the cleansing of the temple, and then bring it of home and talk about what it means, uh, what it means for us as we approach this Hanukkah season with all this chaos around us in the world. I think this is a message we really need. We really need to hear and we really need to understand. And so thank you guys for being with me for this episode. Don't forget to tune in again next week. If you miss this episode, jump on the website, jump on Hebrew Nation Online. They're archived there. Until next time, shalom, shalom.